to a Tuesday edition of the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. Today I'm joined by Dave Molinari. Dave, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. Uh, we're hoping to have Taylor Haas here a little bit later. She's working on a story. So, uh, Dave, uh, a big weekend. Uh, two wins on, on two days, uh, beating the Philadelphia Flyers 4-3 to three, uh, at home and then coming back and playing really well in a 5-1 win against the Rangers. And that sets up tonight's rematch with the Rangers at PPG Paints Arena where the Penguins are one of the hottest teams in the league right now at home. They've been terrific at home. But I want to start with the, just the, the, the performance on Sunday night day of a national television game. Uh, we've seen it before. The Penguins don't, didn't start very well. Uh, get down one nothing, but three quick goals. And we've seen this from the Penguins over the years, three quick goals like that. But I thought the thing that resonated with me more than anything was how well they just really sucked the life out of the Rangers over the last like 40, 45 minutes of that game. Uh, what stood out for you? Well, yeah, that did. And I, I think that was, uh, you can trace that back to uh, all of the things they didn't do on Thursday against Philadelphia when they got a 3 nothing lead in the first uh, four minutes of the game um, and then just completely abandoned uh, the way they had wanted to play and ended up losing 4-3 and, and not even getting uh, a point out of it. Um, I, that, was, that was a pretty harsh lesson. But it seemed to get through. Now, I mean, I don't think you want to equate the uh, the Rangers to the Flyers. The Flyers are a little farther down the road of uh, being a uh, a contender. But that New York team does have some uh, pretty good young talent uh, on it, even with uh, Artemi Panarin not in the lineup. So, no, that was a uh, that was a pretty impressive. Uh, performance by the by the Penguins defensively I thought and especially after the start they got where I believe at at one point the uh the shots were nine to one for the Rangers so it was hardly the uh the start that the Penguins were looking for whether or not they had given up the first goal but once they uh once they got the two goal lead they uh they did a pretty nice job of of stifling the the New York offense. Dave you know we talk all a lot on on this podcast and you write, you and Taylor write a lot about just sometimes the failings of the power play. And last night, that the first goal, the first of three goals in a minute and 11 seconds or 61 seconds uh, won't go down as a power play goal. But it just happened right as the Rangers were coming out of the box. And that power play, we always talk about if you can't score in a power play, l- at least let it generate some momentum. And I thought it did. Obviously. Obviously, they score right after this with Marino with kind of a seeing eye shot with a good screen in in front of uh, Georgiev. And then bang, 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 it's three to one. Uh, Is that the kind of – can you talk a little bit about what you saw about that power play and just the ability to kind of jumpstart that that quick rally? Well, that is it. Yeah, as as you noted, uh, Marino scored two seconds after the Rangers got back to full strength. So while it wasn't officially a power play goal, you know, it effectively was because uh, the Ranger who had been in the box, I forget right offhand who that was, but he hadn't had a chance to get back into the play. Uh, He was a non-factor. So, no, that's, you know, 
and and John Marino on that goal showed the merits of something we've discussed so many times, and I'm sure the coaches have discussed so many times, of just throwing the puck toward the net. You know, in this case, he happened to sneak it inside the far post, but even if it had hit a body, you create some chaos, you get a loose puck, you get a rebound, uh, you very likely get a scoring chance out of it. But he has a, you know, that, that power play, whether or not it had uh, led to the goal that Marino scored was, you know, giving the Penguins some momentum that, that they could have carried over. Uh, and, you know, when, uh, when Marino scored, uh, they obviously did feed off that and score two more quick goals to, uh, to take a chokehold on that game. Another segment, uh, another topic we've kind of beat to death here over the first 20 games was just how just waiting the, the team, the fan base, the team, the coach is just waiting for Genny Malkin to get going. Uh, 12 points uh, in his first 20 games. That's just not going to, you know, that's probably not going to get them where they want to go. Uh, but boy, over the last four games, six points in the last four games and over the weekend, Dave, a goal and an assist in both games and not just the points and not just the goals, but there seemed to be a little bit of jump there that uh, he seems like he might be getting his legs Uh, small sample size, but are you encouraged maybe that he is now finally trending in the right direction? I think the the Penguins certainly should be. Um, And I, I agree with the way you phrased that. I think he's trending in the right direction. I don't think he's there yet. I think he can be better than he has been, but his trajectory certainly is, is on the upswing and uh, you know, that it certainly took a long time for, uh, for him to get his game there. But if in fact he has, and if he can continue to build on his strong play of, of late, that's, uh, that's going to be a, a, a real plus for them. And Kasperi Kapanen, uh, we, we talked a little bit about him on our last podcast is regarding, you know, some of the guys that Jim Rutherford brought in over his last few months, uh, he and Malkin seem like they're they're starting to get a little chemistry there. Um, what have you seen with with Kapanen? They do, yeah. Um, they they do seem uh, like they're going to work together uh, very nicely. Um, I mean, you have to like Kapanen's speed. He's a shooter. He's got a great release. Um, you know, if you get him the puck, or if he takes the puck from you. Um, you know, there's a pretty good chance that he's going to launch it uh, on goal. And I like that. I mean, it's a quality that I would uh, like <laughs> to see him bring to the number one power play. Uh, it's, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, he certainly has formed uh, the, the makings of a, an effective partnership with Malkin. And that was, that was a big goal. I mean, it was part of that, that span, you know, in his speed, as you mentioned, just one little mistake uh, by the Rangers defenseman. I think it was uh, Keandre Miller uh, just didn't kind of handle that bouncing puck, then lost his balance. And there was no question Kaplan was going to be in uh, with a shot. And then just a beautiful goal. Yeah. He, uh, he gets rid of the puck awful fast. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. I wouldn't want to be a goaltender trying to stop him if he's um, bearing down on me all by himself because he can uh, 
he can have the, the puck off his stick before you even know that it's coming your way. Now, the, the one negative that came out of the, of the game yesterday, and a player who I think has been playing pretty well, uh, <laughs> had one of the toughest goals of the year that will be forgotten probably because of the, 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 the collapse in the, in the Thursday game, was Jared McCann. Um, you know, I, again, we talked about trending in the right direction. I thought he was been playing pretty well. And uh, it is we're recording this on Monday afternoon. Uh, I think Mike Sullivan's next availability will be uh, later today. So we don't know exactly know how serious it is. But, Dave, if 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 they're if he is out, if McCann is out for any kind of uh, stretch here, what do would you do as far as replacing him in the lineup? Well, with uh, Jason Zucker out as well, um, I, I think what you would probably do is move Evan Rodriguez up to the second line. I don't think he's a top six guy on, on a full-time basis, but he's capable of kind of holding his own in, in that role, you know, being a, a decent placeholder, probably the, uh, the best one, you know, that they have on, on their roster at, at this time. So, it seems to me that that would be the the obvious move, yeah, but uh, you know, I've I've been surprised before. Yeah, and I've liked him since he's come back. He's kind of a scrappy type of player. Was lost uh, in earlier in the season with the collision uh, with Philip Heedle. Uh, I just kind of like his. There's some scrappiness with that would seem to maybe meld with with those other two guys on that line. I think that's a think that's a uh, a good suggestion we've got a lot coming for you on this show we're gonna have we'll be back with our segment segment we'll bat around some issues and then on the third segment we are going to have mike harrington from the buffalo news and boy mike's opinionated and i'm sure he won't hold back here uh talking about the sabers who will be playing a couple of games against uh the penguins later this week so stay with us on the 66 to 87 podcast welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast here on dk sports radio tom reed joined by dave molinari uh, Taylor Haas, uh, working on assignment today. She will definitely be back Friday. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to kick around a couple of topics now and then have Mike Harrington, uh, the great Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News, who's covering the not-so-great Buffalo Sabres, uh, will join us in the third segment. And that leads us to a segue uh, regarding uh, the schedule, Mr. Molinari. Um, uh, these Penguins, who have, are starting to play a little bit better right now, uh, and are starting uh, playing real well at home. Uh, 19 of their remaining games will come against the bottom three teams in this division, the Rangers, uh, the Devils, and the Sabres. And that includes 16, count them, 16 against the Sabres and Devils, who right now are really struggling. Uh, New Jersey had a decent start to the season, and actually Buffalo did in the one one kind of common denominator besides being they're not very good is both had kind of COVID shutdowns. Dave, you look at that schedule and when you add in the fact that the Bruins will play these teams 16 times 
Flyers 15 times, the Capitals 14 times, and the Islanders just 12 times. And that's all three teams, not just the two that we mentioned. Is that an advantage for the for this uh, Penguin team going down the stretch? Yeah, and certainly the stretch they're in now, I want to say uh, the nine of their 11 games in this stretch are against those uh, those three teams that are at, at the bottom of the East. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a time to that they want to uh, accumulate some points and, and, you know, bank them because, you know, they're going to be a lot harder to come by uh, when you're playing teams like uh, the Bruins and, you know, they have to go back to, to Philadelphia again later in the year. Uh, they have a couple more games in Washington. Um, so any any points you you can take from the bottom feeders, you know they they count as much as as the ones you get from the good teams. So uh, this these next couple of weeks are are really a uh, an important stretch for the Penguins. And, and it's you know we talked about this earlier about a month ago about how crucial that stretch was against the Islanders and the Capitals, right? Where that's all they were playing. They were just playing those two teams. It seemed like forever. And they did fairly well. You know, they, they, they held their own, and it, it, it gives them this chance to kind of make hay. Uh, again, they, they're catching the Rangers right now without Artemi Panarin. I, we don't know yet if he's going to play tomorrow night, but the fact that he – or excuse me, tonight, the fact that he hasn't even practiced tells me he's not going to be in the lineup. Uh, and, again, the, the Sabres are just in absolute free fall. Uh, They've lost six in a row. They have the worst record in the league. Uh, we're going to be talking, as we said, with Mike Harrington a little bit later. Uh, eight times. You get eight more sh- shots at these guys, including two this week. Uh, and knowing, Dave, that, that that other teams are going to be getting these games too, it seems to make it even more critical that you have to get the two points against those teams. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, especially the Sabres right now. I I have to believe that somewhere out there, there are dumpster fires saying, <laughs> thank God I'm not the Sabres. Uh, you know, it's it's just that that's a team that's just in a, a total meltdown. And taking anything less th- than four points out of those two games uh, that the Penguins have in Buffalo later this week would be just unacceptable for them. Uh, and and the, it, it is a nice stretch in the sense that you know, when you're playing the other teams, the, the teams, the, the, the Bruins, the Capitals, uh, the Islanders and the Flyers, you don't want any three point games. Right. You don't want to give anyone even one point. Uh, but when you play those teams, you've got a little bit more leeway. If, if, you, if you have to win a three point game, that's fine because you're not worried. You're really not worried. The Rangers are they're six points back, but I, I don't see them catching it. So there's a. I don't want to say you relax, but at least you 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 feel better about a three point game than maybe you did against the Islanders or the Capitals, where you know they get a point and they're they continue to be right in that hunt. Yeah. Now the the Penguins do have uh, four games at New Jersey, and that's that's a place that traditionally they they struggle there. Um. So yeah, I th- I think if you would. Uh, would guarantee them that they would take two points out of each of those four games. They'd be perfectly willing to give the devils one uh, from each of them. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, I, I don't think there's much danger of them being uh, overtaken by the Rangers devils or certainly the Sabres. 
So, you know, giving them uh, one point, you know, probably isn't, isn't going to hurt the, the way it could if you would uh, do that with one of the other four teams, as the Penguins did quite a few times uh, through the early weeks right. of this season. Absolutely. They gave up, yeah, they were, you know, and again, full marks, they kept winning the games, but in, in a race which looks like it's going to be really close down to the final weeks of the season for the four teams to get in, you don't want to give any of those points. Dave, we didn't. We, we usually script our, our, our uh, segments here real quick, but would you be surprised? Uh, you mentioned how well uh, New Jersey sometimes plays against this Pittsburgh team, and one guy who's played very well against them is Keith Kincaid. Would you be surprised tonight to see Kincaid get to start, even though Georgiev is really their backup? Uh, no, I mean, as, as you noted, Georgiev is the backup. You know, Shostarkin, their, their number one guy, is hurt. Um, so, you know, I, I, given the way that, uh, they the Rangers, two goalies played on, on Sunday, I would be surprised if Kincaid doesn't get the start. Yeah. I, I thought he played pretty well. Um, I don't know that, uh, Georgiev is, uh, you know, the, uh, primary culprit for the Rangers losing that game. Uh, he gave up goals to some some pretty good goal scorers but uh no i you know i th- i think that's a that would be a pretty logical move for david quinn to make yeah and to be honest with you kincaid played well enough that game could have gotten out of hand i mean seven eight to one if, if kincaid doesn't come in there first first shot i think he stops is a breakaway um but the other thing this weekend, we talked a little bit earlier in the first segment about how well Malkin is starting to play. Uh, another guy who came back into the lineup this weekend and well, by no means was eased back in the lineup was Brian Dumoulin. Uh, first game against Philadelphia in the 4-3 win, 25 minutes and 53 seconds. Uh, Sunday night in the win over the Rangers, 26 minutes and 10 seconds. Uh, he and uh, Latang are back together. And they looked really good, Dave. Uh, just what does for, for, for younger fans that are just kind of getting into the Penguins, what does Brian Dumoulin bring and how does he help maybe stabilize a guy like Latang? Well, he, you know, he, he didn't bring uh, what, what you expect from him earlier in the season. Uh, Dumoulin was one of a number of players who got off to uh, slow starts. Uh, whether it was because of the abbreviated training camp or just the general weirdness of uh, of life these days. Uh, but in the couple of games he's been back, he's looked like his old self. And uh, when he does that, he's reliable and responsible in his own end. And having him around gives uh, Latang the, the latitude to get more involved in the offense because he knows that if uh, if he would happen to get caught up ice, that there's a good chance that Dumoulin would be able to cover for him and, and erase any, any mistake that he might make. Um, and, you know, another, uh, another thing that uh, having uh, Dumoulin back brings to the Penguins is the ability to kind of put everybody, the, the other left-handed defensemen into roles uh, for which they are better suited, you know, he's, he's the top pairing guy. Um, and so anybody else you, you p- would slot in there, um, is probably, uh, 
you know, not necessarily qualified to uh, handle that role. But with, with Dumoulin back alongside Latang, you can put Pedersen back with John Marino, you know, where he uh, played pretty well last year. And uh, you can you can put Matheson with CeCe and you've you've got a, you know, a, a pretty decent group to work with there. And also, uh, good good PK guy, uh, and, and we've talked at length that that, that unit needs to get better. Uh, I, I think he's going to help them there as well. Absolutely, especially I mean in front of the net. Um, I mean you can't, as a defenseman, just abuse opposing forwards the way you used to be able to, and you know cross check them into submission. Um, but Dumoulin is, is is a pretty big guy who you know can uh, handle himself physically in front of the net. And I think uh, that aspect of his game will be particularly valuable to the Penguins when they're killing penalties. Uh, another, uh, what also happened this weekend was Mike Sullivan ended up reuniting uh, the third, I, I don't care, whatever, the third line, whatever you want to call it, uh, with Tanef, uh, with Czar, uh, Zach Aston Reese, and uh, with Bluger, Dave, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll throw my opinion out there and you tell me, I think that line should stay together. I think there's times where because of injuries up top, uh, they have moved guys away from that line. I think it hurts them more. I, I think they're better off keeping that third line intact. I just think they play so well together. They add, they just add that extra dimension to this team. I agree completely. I mean, there might be times when you will want to double shift sure. one of the, one of those guys. Uh, for example, when, uh, you know, Zucker or following him, McCann uh, was injured and left a void on, on, at left wing on the second line. Uh, you know, you could put Tanev in there or you could bump Aston Reese up there for a while. But when you have 12 healthy forwards, um, I find it hard to uh, formulate a good argument for, for not having that line uh, be intact. Yeah, and I, I thought they were crucial uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the win against Philadelphia on Saturday. It kind of got, got them back, back going. Uh, Tanif assisting on the, the third and the fourth goal. Uh, yeah, they, they just, to me... You don't want to mess with that line. And you had mentioned that early on. I, I give you full marks. You had mentioned that uh, when the, the first, though, when the Zucker injury first occurred and we were talking about people that might get moved up and down the lineup, there was thought of maybe, and, and it, it did end up happening, uh, Aston Reese got moved up. And I just thought that that, that, that hurt both lines in some ways. I, I just don't, I thought, I really thought that the, certainly you lose the impact of that third line, that, that real good scoring element off of it. And I just don't think he did a did a lot to help the second line. No, you know he's he's cast perfectly in uh, in the role he fills with uh, with Bluger and Tanev. Um, no, it's uh, like I say, other other than in, in an emergency situation where you're you're shorthanded because of injuries or something like that, then then maybe you you give those guys uh, some extra work on another line, but, but in general, you have to keep that group together. All right. Very good. We will be back for our third segment 
in a minute here on DK Sports Radio uh, with Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News. Stay tuned. podcast here on DK Sports Radio, and we are delighted to be joined by Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News. One one of the only problems with Mike is he doesn't like, he's not very opinionated, so I'm not sure how much he will really go into what's going on in Buffalo right now, which after having covered the Cleveland Browns when they were 1-31, I think Mike kind of knows what's going on there in Buffalo because it sure feels like the Browns of 2016, 2017, Mike, six losses in a row, the worst record in the league. Uh, There's some money put into this team. How much longer is Ralph Kruger going to have his job? Well, my first opinion is he shouldn't have had a job for the last week. I mean, come on. It should already be over. Yeah, you know, the best things $82 million can buy is a 31st place team. Um, But but realistically, guys, I think Kruger probably gets fired on Wednesday. They're playing in Philadelphia Tuesday night. It's the end of a road trip. They come back home. They have an off day Wednesday. And then they open a series with the Penguins on Thursday. And I cannot fathom. Ralph Kruger still being behind the bench when the Penguins come to town Thursday night. Hey, Mike, uh, real quick, what, who would do they have somebody that they could just promote within just to kind of get them to the end of the season? Well, you know, that's the issue is Chris Taylor was their AHL coach, would have been a ready made replacement, but they ran him out partly for cost cutting, partly because I don't think he totally meshed with Kruger. He's now an assistant with the Devils. So their AHL coach is a first time pro coach. He's not an option. So really, realistically, if you're going from within, you got Steve Smith, the Edmonton, old Edmonton defenseman on the bench, and Don Granado on the bench. It'd have to be one of them, you know, unless they are being stealth about it and making some deal with somebody to get in here. But uh, that's an, an issue, and I think that has partly been the reason it's taken so long for them to fire Kruger. I think they're trying to figure out what to do. And the big thing, he's owed another $6 million, $2 million this year, another $4 million next year. And I think ownership is really blanching at that given the pandemic. Well, in that vein, Mike, is is it possible that they would just ride out the rest of the season with him, uh, figuring that it can't be salvaged now? You know, they're, they're not going to get into the playoffs, no, you know, no matter who is uh, coaching. They could bring Toe Blake in and, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't save the season. Could they just, you know, let uh, let Kruger run the bench for the, for the rest of the year and, get as high a draft choice as possible, and then uh, make a move? I'm like, Toe Blake could win with this team, Dave, for one thing, but right now the way they're playing. But you know what? It's possible. Anything is possible with these people. I mean, because they've just been so off out in left field for so long. But I don't see how you can run Kruger out there anymore. These players have quit. I mean, there's another 33 games left. They're not even at the halfway mark of the season. I think you have to just get rid of them just to save some face here. I mean, it, it is brutal. Um, but, yeah, I think ownership's really concerned. A, a new head coach was not on their radar. His contract goes through next year. They've really caught, cut a lot of costs here. And now all of a sudden the coach has fallen apart and he's lost the players. He's lost the respect of everybody in the town. I mean, it is really, really a dicey situation going on. 
What was a realistic expectation for this team going into the season, Mike? Realistically, I didn't think they would finish higher than sixth in the East, but we thought there would be a lot of competitive games, a lot of loosey-goosey 5-3, 6-4 games. We thought the goaltending was going to be a real issue. It's turned out the goaltending's been eh. It's been okay. It hasn't been the issue. They don't score at all. And that's the real problem here. It's not that they're losing. Yeah, it's they're losing. They're 31st in the league. But you look at the, the offense here, Jack Eichel, two goals, Taylor Hall, two goals, Jeff Skinner, one goal, Rasmus Dahlin is, you know, minus 110, whatever he is, plus minus. He is last in the league. I know I think it's 22 or 23, whatever it is. Ultimately, the biggest problem here to me is the star players have failed, with the exception of Sam Reinhardt. They've failed miserably. The offense is a disaster. They're at historic lows in five-on-five scoring. They're scoring five-on-five at a lower rate than 2014-15, the year they were tanking, the year they were trying to lose. (laughs) I mean, it's unbelievable. Where did this this whole – again, and we see this in almost every sport now. Uh, I think it started mostly in in basketball – and certainly, as you mentioned, the, the 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 Sabers have done it. The Penguins were maybe the uh, maybe the team that started everything with with getting Mario Lemieux. Although some will still say they didn't tank, but of course they did. Where did this go off the rails? When we you know they get Eichel, they 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 had the they had earned the right. They had the best lottery chance because they finished last. And of course, Connor McDavid goes to Edmonton, and they get Jack Eichel. Where? has this whole rebuild kind of is there a obviously they're playing terribly right now but somewhere along the lines where did this show signs of this is not going right this is not going the direction it should go it's easily two spots tom i mean first of all when eichel came in the first year they improved 27 points they were really going the first year under dan bilesma with eichel 27 point improvement everybody said here we go second year things didn't go as well jack see eye to eye with Dan, some of the other players did, and they let the players run Dan Bilesma out. Tim Murray didn't want to fire Dan Bilesma, and they said, okay, you're not going to fire him. Ownership said to him, you're not going to fire him? Well, we're firing you too. That was the first place things went off the rails, and the second place is easy. They traded Ryan O'Reilly. Old friend Jason Botterill becomes the first GM in history to trade a guy who wins the Conn Smythe Trophy the next year. And you know what? I, I saw Ray Ferraro on TSN that summer. You know, O'Reilly was upset. He lost his love for the game. He went to the World Championships in Copenhagen, played well. And Ray Ferraro said the Buffalo Sabres should have said to him, you're upset. We get it. We know it. Go to the Worlds. Play great. Have a great summer. Get ready. Get back here in September. And instead, they dumped him on the St. Louis Blues in an awful trade where they didn't get anywhere near value for him. And he goes and wins the Stanley Cup and wins the Conn Smythe. Those are the two places that fell off the rails. And now... You might have to blow it up again, incredible as that sounds. The, uh, you know, there has been a lot of speculation about the possibility of trading Eichel. Uh, do you think that's legit? And how would that go over with the citizenry on the Niagara frontier? <laughs> you know, they blew a year and a half. They tried to lose. Every time a goalie got hot in Buffalo in 2014, 2015, he got traded because he was winning too many games. The trade deadline, they traded a hot goalie. They traded their best shootout guy. They traded their best penalty killer. They traded their best physical forward to make sure they lost to get Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel. Now they're going to turn around and trade Jack Eichel. Now, a lot of the rumors, the rumors, I say with quotes, are just, 
you know, people looking for clickbait. You know, let's be honest here, guys. There's no way the Buffalo Sabres are ever trading Jack Eichel to the Boston Bruins. So everyone in the Boston media needs to zip it, okay? <laughs> the Rangers, you know, the New York media say, oh, he's coming to New York. Well, what center? Are you gonna, they're going to pawn off Mika Zibanejad on the Sabres to get Jack Eichel? I don't think so. I think the conversation starts with Alexis Lafreniere and Adam Fox and goes from there. Um, they don't want to trade Jack Eichel. I don't think you can trade Jack Eichel, except Jack Eichel comes to you and says, I want out. You might be stuck. But even at that, you should be able to get a good package for him. But what hockey executive do they have to get a good package for Jack Eichel right now? They have a first-time general manager. They have no president of hockey. They have no assistant GMs. I just think disaster looms around the corner, and they're already in 31st place. You had uh, mentioned uh, the, 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 the Ryan O'Reilly situation. and Is there a way that, that, that the Sabres, and again, we don't know who's going to be coaching them next week, let alone at the end of the season, that can get to the end of the season uh, with Eichel and they can sit down. Is it beyond, is it, is beyond repair his relationship? No, 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 it's not beyond repair. I think, I I think they can sit down with him again, but he's really upset. He was upset at the end of last year. I don't think guys that Eichel in any way, shape or form is not going to be a trade deadline guy. You cannot possibly make that deal at the trade deadline. He's a after the season guy. And if it's going to happen, and Dave, you just asked, could it happen? It really has to happen this summer because his no movement clause kicks in next year. And right now you can engage 31 teams. Next year, Eichel can say, no, 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 I'm not going to Winnipeg or I'm not going to here. I'm not going there. We can't do that this summer. So maybe if you're thinking about trading him, you're going to have to do it this summer. But, you know, I don't know if they're going to try to massage Eichel again by saying we're bringing in X person as the coach. He really liked Ralph Kruger, but that relationship seemed to sour with the the conflict of his injury when it took place. And everything just everything crazy happens to this team. I mean, they were four, four, and three when they hit their COVID pause. So all this disaster has really developed in the last three weeks. I mean, it's unbelievable how fast this entire franchise has unraveled. Well, yeah. the disaster is one of the things they've gotten to be really good at, though. Oh, so. They specialize in it. I mean, it's just it's, I think about it, guys. They don't make the playoffs this year. It's 10 years in a row out of the playoffs. It ties the all-time record of the NHL. And you can easily make the case right now, Tom, you made the Cleveland Browns joke. Right now, the Buffalo Sabres are one of the most dysfunctional franchises in all of professional sports. I think they're third or fourth in the four major sports for playoff droughts. And, you know, they are dysfunction junction around here right now. Yeah. You know, it, it's and you guys can both jump in. Dave, I'll let you jump in on this, too. It's it's not like Connor McDavid's those two players, and, and again, Eichel's not having a good year, as we've mentioned. But those are two really good players at the top of the draft board, and we've seen the last couple of years where the first couple of picks have not exactly set the world on fire, and yet neither one of them has really enjoyed any playoff success. Eichel has not. Correct me if I'm wrong. Eichel's not even been to a playoff. You just mentioned ten years straight, so there's no way he's been there. Is is it? It really hurts the league, I think, when you have guys that good on teams that cannot do anything in the postseason. It does. I mean, McDavid's only won one series. And, you know, I was the most ardent anti-tanker in Buffalo, I think. I don't believe in it. I think it's a terrible idea. I think it's really hurt this organization. And having said that, it probably should have worked. 
They had a lot of pieces around Jack Eichel with Sam Ryan, Hunter Ristolainen, but then they went out and got Ryan O'Reilly and Evander Kane and Robin Leonard. It should have worked, but they screwed it up so badly running through coaches and GMs and making bad deals like the O'Reilly trade that they lost the team that they had built around Eichel, and it just has not worked. And he hasn't been a great captain, especially this year, and he's not healthy, guys. There's no way that's the Jack Eichel we know. He can't possibly be playing at 100% or even close to it. Um, they, they believed in what they were doing, and I really think they should have let Murray have another year with Bilesma. They and that we should have seen where that went, and then they brought in Housley, who wasn't ready to really be a head coach. It's just every mistake has been compounded. Dave, how I'll, is I'll... it that, that a team that is so dysfunctional, to use your word, is owned by the same people who own the Bills, who seem to have really turned their fortunes around and and become one of the better teams in the NFL? Yeah, no, it's a good question, but the Bills were very dysfunctional too. Don't forget, they had gone 18 years without making the playoffs in the NFL. You know, they, the Pagulas had hired Rex Ryan, and they had gone through coaches. And then what happened? They hired an unknown, not an unknown, but a first-time head coach who was a defensive coordinator in Sean McDermott. And then Sean McDermott brought in Brandon Bean, the general manager. So they kind of did it a little backwards, but the football model, the coach is the supreme being. In hockey, that's not the case, and they tried to do it that way with Kruger, and bring in the first-time GM, it's a bad model. Essentially, they got lucky with the Bills. They got lucky with McDermott and Brandon Bean. It works out great. They're signed long-term. They haven't gotten lucky yet with the Sabres. They don't have any hockey, hockey expert to help them out to bring somebody in, and that's the problem. Ownership is the problem here. They are too meddlesome in hockey. They don't know what they're doing. They haven't brought in any sort of hockey mind, and at this point, the way things have gone, what hockey mind would work for them? Yours. Yeah, mine. Man. <laughs> what about the last person in Buffalo, Gary and Kim Bagula, listen to for advice in this team? Let me tell you. I I think it does. One that on this, and we'll bring it into into the in the in the Pittsburgh perspective. I think it does also the appreciation for how the Penguins were able to start their last rebuild, as far as being bad at the right time and getting it right with the high draft picks, right? Malkin and Crosby, uh, you know, we're seeing right now, even with the Rangers, there's fear of Kako, Kapo, Kapo Kako, and Lafreniere aren't quite showing anything. Boy, Pittsburgh's been lucky, Dave, haven't they, with 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 being bad at the right time and even throw Flurry in there, that they have were able to kind of get their franchise going right away, even though they absorbed some losses those first couple of years. Yeah, although, the, I mean, they got lucky with Crosby. You know, they won sure, a lottery sure. to, to get that. Um, but yeah, they, uh, and actually they lost the lottery to get Malkin. Uh, they had finished with the worst record in the league that year, but lost the lottery and Washington took Ovechkin. Um, but yeah, they're, uh, they're early. And the year before that, they had traded up from third to first in the opening round to get flurry from Florida, you know, or with a pick that had initially belonged to, to Florida, but yeah, they, uh, they hit on their. Or, you know, their early picks in the first round. In fact, in uh, 2006, then they, they added Jordan Stahl, who filled a, uh, a pretty important need for them. So, yeah, uh, drafting success uh, is a uh, played a big part in what this team has accomplished over the last 15 years or so. 
and look at what the penguins are doing now you know they're still in they're still in the mix they're still there and hey guys you want to think of the nightmare scenario for the buffalo sabers right now they have 16 games left against the boston bruins and pittsburgh penguins good <laughs> good luck to you in 31st place with 16 games left against the bruins and penguins that's another tentacle to the nightmare here you so, can do- so they'll they'll pick no later than fourth in the draft then right <laughs> yeah i mean i mean i'm assuming you know, they're going to finish in the bottom two, I would think, bottom two or three. So maybe they could drop a little. But, you know, if you finish last, you're going to go no further than fourth. And with all the schedule they have left, I don't know if they're going to catch Ottawa and Detroit at this point. I mean, that's why another reason things have to change here. Are they going to go 0-16 against Pittsburgh and Boston? They're 0-6 against the Islanders right now, so anything's possible. I was say, with, with, their, with the way things have gone for the Sabres, they'll win just enough to finish, like, with the third worst record. And- <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know, but well, you know what? I don't care about number one picks anymore. They got they got Eichel at two. They got Reinhardt at two. They got Rasmus Dahlin at one. What's it got them? It hasn't gotten them anything. Yeah, that's what we were saying in in Cleveland back in the for 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 about a decade there. Uh, if with the Browns, uh, draft season started in October. It's probably well underway in Buffalo right now uh, for the Sabers. You're probably doing a mock draft here another week or two. Uh, to keep things going. Mike, thank you so much for doing this. Entertaining as always. Uh, and good luck with your sanity and just getting through the end of this season. <laughs> Tom, Dave, uh, thanks for having me. Enjoy the playoffs. I say that to people all the time since I never get to do it. So there you go. <laughs> thanks for having me. All right. That's, that's, thanks, Tom. that's it for all of us on the 66 to 87 podcast. We will be back with you on DK Sports Radio on Friday, and we'll talk to you then.